Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Well, it's good to have you with us, everybody. It is November 2nd, 2015, and then we say that each week because many of you down- listen to this on a downloaded basis, and uh, finding just how many people do and uh, how broad it is uh, the audience is from literally, uh, certainly here in the U.S., but around the globe. It's amazing people listen to us and want to get an, an idea of what's going on in the housing finance system here in America. Well, we're going to have a great broadcast again. We do each week. I'm so excited to have with me as our special guest in the Hot Topic segment. In the segment, we've got Tony Most and Tim Skeet. Now, Tony is the founder and CEO of AmeriCatalyst and a Eurocatalyst. And Tim, and she's been a previous guest of of the broadcast, sometimes scared the heck out of us with some of the stuff she brings us for reality. And it's, uh, But it's been really good. To have the content is just always much talked about. But joining her will be her European advisor and a capital markets expert all over Europe, and it's Tim Skeet. And uh, we're going to have both of them on the second half of the broadcast during the Hot Topic segment. Very excited about this discussion. Again, we're going to be talking about comparing and contrasting the U.S. housing finance system to that of primarily the U.K., but we're also going to kind of skip around Europe and talk about the various ones. Tony is an expert on all of this, as is Tim. So we'll get their comments. thought it would be interesting to you, our listeners, get a bit of a perspective of what's going over, as they say, in London, over the pond, and talk about what's going on there. And Tim, you're going to hear, he's genuine UK, and he, he is, so uh, it's going to be fun to listen to his accent and his commentary. Always entertaining and a great guy, very knowledgeable and always entertaining. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors in preparation of the TRID, both the Performance Premium and United Guarantees score quote were enhanced to provide rate stability while still ensuring borrowers get the best rates based on their risk profile. Again, remember, they have a risk profile pricing system, one of the first in the nation to do that, and had it until just recently, and other companies come out with it. But theirs has been around for a while. Great experience in it. But it's anyway, it's easier to use. You get a rate quote using only the standard insurance information, and then you get a rate stability, which once you get all the initial information to gather, uh, you're able to get something that's more closely associated to the FICO score band, and also the rate factors that go and the risk factors that go into that loan. So it's a great program. You get protected on it, and I encourage you to check it out. Unlike other rate cards, the Performance Premium, they provide you the stability and consistency in there. It's a really great program that helps you uh, maintain the pricing to a good consistent pricing to your borrowers. Check it all out at going to www.ugcorp.com. And you can connect with your local United Guarantee salesperson. They're all over their website. Check it out, www.ugcorp.com. 
Also, we want, oh, by the way, i got to say, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Important little add-on there. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Velma, which stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They are dedicated to helping you build stronger and more profitable relationships. And they have this wonderful set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign, or you can do a custom program like I do each and every time I work with these guys. And they're wonderful to work with. They'll work with you. They'll advise you in the wording, how to get the word out. They have some of the best technology I've seen out there. And it also has a CRM component to it. Great stuff. Also, our latest new sponsor, Motivity Solutions. We're excited to have them because they're the leading business intelligence technology company in the nation, providing real-time reporting as well as dashboards and scorecards. Motivity Solutions, business mortgage business intelligence, and it delivers real-time powerful analytics to mortgage lenders to proactively monitor and manage their mortgage operations across their entire enterprise. Check it out at MotivitySolutions.com, or you can call them at 303 721 9,000. Of course, I always say a special thank you to Alice and Joe, who are here each and every week bringing us updates on the industry and what's going on. More about their companies in just a minute. Quick update on some of the things that are happening across the nation. We have, as far as conferences are concerned, that is, we have the TMBA's annual warehouse conclave. I'll be moderating it again this year. I did it last year. It was a lot of fun. And so what we do is we bring all the warehouse lenders up from around the United States to gather into one meeting, and it's their meeting for them to talk about the hot issues going on. They have the e-notes issue. Is, uh, we're going to be talking about e-notes and what um, challenges that represents to the warehouse lenders. So it's a perspective from it's a e-note perspective on uh, from a warehouse lender standpoint. Also, we're going to talk about the latest hot topics facing warehouse lenders today. And the good news is they're inviting the general public to attend this. Now, this has been a closed-off meeting, but um, you will not be able to participate in the questions as much as we're listening in on what the issues are. I think it's very informative for you to sit in and listen to the issues facing the warehouse lenders. You can go to texasmba.org forward slash warehouse to learn more. Also, we have the Accounting and Finance Management Conference for the MBA that's coming up on the November 18th through the 20th at the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans. We also have the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference coming up December 2nd through the 4th in Nashville at the Omni Hotel. And then January 21st, we have the MBA's Mergers and Acquisitions Conference that's come workshop that's coming up uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Check all of these out at the mba.org forward slash conferences and education. Good to have you all with us. We are now, it's time to get in to get an update on what's going on in the markets. Joe Farr, always fun to have you here and provide an update. I think we're going we're gonna to be, you know, one of the stories I love telling about Joe, when, he, when I first invited you on, I said, no one wants to hear a guy with a Texas draw talk about the markets. It's because of your accent that so many love and is so distinctive and is so well. And now we're going to be having, we have Tim Skeet on later on, so we're going to hear. We're going to have dueling the, accents you know, working. Dueling accents. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm looking at prices are down just a little bit. They started down, but now, well, they still are down just a little bit as I'm looking at the screen. So what's going yeah, on? Yeah, they just dipped a little bit uh, as we as we started the show. We're now down 6.30 seconds on the day. Uh, you know, and that's not really based on, on economic news. What came out this morning was pretty much as expected and had very little effect on the market with ISM Manufacturing Index came in uh, just above what is considered uh, sort of the the level. Uh, Anything above 50 is expansion and anything below 50 is a contraction. We came in at 50.1. Construction spending came in, again, pretty much as expected at up seven-tenths. 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know what caused this latest little drop in prices. Yeah. Last week, uh, Dave, was a pretty wild week. We started out uh, with mortgage rates improving a little bit uh, through the first couple days as weak data came out, but then the Fed came along and changed all that. Um, The Fed statement that was released following their Wednesday meeting uh, didn't contain a a lot of real big surprises except one thing, one little change in wording had a a big impact on the market. It, It was that they explicitly stated that the incoming data will determine if they're going to raise rates at the next meeting and it's that next meeting that really caused people uh, concern and it, and it made people feel that there was a greater chance that the Fed is going to find an excuse to raise rates at the December meeting and and that was not good for mortgage rates we saw about a half a point drop in prices after the statement was read and then that followed through on Thursday with another half a point drop in prices now fortunately we got back about a quarter of a point on Friday but uh uh, for the week, we were down uh, 12, 30 seconds or so, so it was uh, uh, not a good week for mortgage rates. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the economic data that came out early was uh, a little bit short of expectations, was, again, good good for MBS prices, but uh, not good for the market in that one of those measures was new home sales. New home sales and pending home sales were both disappointing this this week. Very disappointing. Uh, yeah, consumer confidence uh, and consumer sentiment both fell short of expectations, uh, fell short of last month. And uh, you know, the the first quarter GDP came in light at at one and a half percent growth for the quarter on an uh, on an annualized basis. But you know, one of the interesting things there is almost all that had to do with uh, decline in inventories. And if uh, inventories just been flat from the second quarter to the third quarter, GDP for the third quarter would have been just under three percent. So, um, you know, and part of that part of that inventories issue was that there was a buildup in inventories in the uh, second quarter, uh, which meant you know we're going to have a negative in the third quarter. When you average things out, we're averaging about a two percent growth rate, uh, and expect to have that for the year, uh, which will be a little less than last year, but still kind of along those lines of slow and steady. Slow and steady. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, inflation certainly is not a, an issue uh, as core PCE came in at one tenth as expected, and the annualized rates just one point three percent. Yeah. Uh, this, this week, week the, yeah, we got we got non-farm payrolls. Yeah. Yeah. ADP and, and non-farm payrolls. Consensus is calling for 180,000. This is up from September, uh, which was uh, 142,000. Um, you know, the Fed, as they said, they're going to be closely monitoring incoming economic data to see if we're going to raise rates at the next meeting. Well, there's two jobs reports between uh, their statement and their next meeting, and, and one of those is going to be on Friday. So uh, it's going to be even more important. Um Unemployment rates expected to stay where it is. Uh, also this week, we've got you know, factory orders comes out tomorrow, ISM services and ADP on Wednesday, and then the typical Thursday jobless claims. So uh, besides the jobs report, it's not a big week for economic news. Not a big week, but lot, lot, it'll be interesting. You know, th- th- I listened to so many podcasts over the weekend, and I was flying home from Minnesota celebrating my mom's 91st birthday over the weekend. And as I was flying home, I listened to more podcasts than you can possibly imagine. And almost across the board, not one person is anticipating the Fed to do squat about 
raising interest rates. And they said it's all talk. And, and they, many of them were saying, you know, they don't have to because all they have to do is what they did last week, enter, enter a, give an indication that they might or that they're considering. And you look mm-hmm. what happened to mortgage rates. They just had, headed off. So they monitor or they can manage monetary or interest rates and mon- effectively manage monetary policy by just hinting to what they're doing. So it's really interesting. Not one person across the board says maybe second quarter if we see some unusual behavior, but there's actually just more and more and more pressure towards another round of quantitative easing in order to stay in sync with what's going on with the ECB and then, of course, what's going on over in China. So real interesting comments, what's going on. But, you know, if you want real-time, folks, what's happening, you can read, you can go out there and, and listen to all the speculation what's happening, or you can look at what's going on real-time by going to Joe Farr's website, MBS Quote Line. So to learn more, about this wonderful service, real time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back right Thanks, after Dave. this break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline. Delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. I believe we have Paul Mallow on the line. Is that your... Did I turn on the right microphone here to get to Paul Mallow? Mallow, are you here? We'll find out. Can you hear me? We, <laughs> there's that I'm, voice. I can't talk oh to Dave. I'm too depressed about my New York Mets. I'm so sorry about that, but I was I got to tell you I was privately rooting for the Kansas City that are just north of us here and so sure. uh it was co- it was quite a quite a series. It was nice knowing you, you know, Dave. Bye. It was just- <laughs> <laughs> well, I I hesitated saying anything, but you know but it was a, it was a great series. And it was. It was a wonderful series. Boy, Kansas just uh, the comeback kids and they're tenacious as hell and my hat's off to them. They, they best yeah, but they were but, so evenly matched. I mean, both teams were very yeah. evenly matched. They, I mean, you look at both teams are outstanding. This thing could have gone easily one way or another. There was just some errors that yeah. took out the Mets right toward the end. That was really yeah. it, but great team. Uh, both, both The coaching on, and the management on both sides is just phenomenal. But let's talk about yeah. what's happening in the mortgage industry. By the way, i got to start off by saying, folks, if you're not dialed in, signed up, and getting to your inbox the uh, – blog or the email, the daily email from Paul and the group there at Inside Mortgage Finance, do so. So go to www.inside or no, www.imfnews.com. I guess you can go to insidemortgagefinance.com forward slash IMF News if you want, but you can go to it just by www.imfnews.com. What you got for us? What's on the headlines? Well, uh, we crunched the market share numbers on contributors to Jumbo MBS, and uh, through the first nine months of the year, yeah, First Republic being the market leader at uh, 21.3%. And that's sort of interesting because they're a bank, and, and as anyone knows, yeah. banks that originate Jumbos a lot of times just leave them in portfolio, but First Republic is, uh, you know, willfully selling these things into securities and uh, getting the gain on sale and, and being done with it and servicing the loans, I assume. Uh, everyone else in that group is generally, you know, the top contributors tend to be non-banks because they obviously, most of them don't have a mm-hmm. portfolio or a balance sheet, and so securitization is their one outlet. So, But, you know, First Republic has been a, um, 
you know, a market leader and a, and a huge player in jumbos for for a long time, and we're going to continue to uh, watch what they're doing. So uh, that's, again, based on the nine months numbers. Our number two star, we talked to, uh, to Matt Ishbia of um, United Wholesale Mortgage. They're the, the nation's second largest table funder, depending on uh, where Stern's lending is every quarter. Uh, and, uh, you know, their volumes have held up. Um, on Friday, Inside Mortgage Finance, and, and Thursday, I should say, Thursday and Friday, we, you know, we published in the weekly our exclusive um, uh, third quarter origination figures, and they came in a bit better uh, than a lot of people were expecting. Uh, so that was that was good news, and you know volumes are you know at some shops are strong, and United Wholesale Mortgage is one of them. Uh, they they're expecting to do a billion dollars in October, which just ended, and uh, you know so things are looking up for some shops, and you know it, it it seems like you know the bigger banks are the ones that you know are having volume problems, and you know traditionally the the fourth quarter is the weakest of the year unless there's a refi boom going on. And I, I would venture you know, we'll start seeing some of the bigger banks trim their payrolls between now and, you know, probably uh, late January. So we'll be interested to see what happens in that space. Uh, we, we crunched FHA and VA delinquency numbers as well. George Brooks has got a story on that. And basically the overall rates for VA and FHA loans rose uh, in the third quarter delinquencies. That is, you know, not, not by a lot. We don't know if that's quite a trend yet, but it's just something to, to take a look on. Everyone knows Ginny May has been going gangbusters. Uh, mm-hmm. FHA volumes are strong. And, of course, the, the big question is, uh, is there enough cash flow coming into the FHA's mutual mortgage insurance fund uh, to get that um, the ratio uh, up to 2% in the MMIF? And the speculation is if the, when the new uh, actuarial report comes out, if they're over 2%, you know, is there going to be pressure uh, on the White House administration to cut FHA premiums? That's That's been a, a parlor game in the industry for the last couple of weeks. Right now, basically, the uh, the public uh, face is now there's going to be no FHA uh, premium cut from the folks at FHA and HUD. But come early next year, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, that probably won't be good news for the mortgage insurance companies, some of which uh, have been smacked around pretty good the last week or so uh, because of their earnings weren't as robust as they thought. And there's a lot of questions about how uh, Genworth is going to make it uh, to make some of the new capital standards coming out of FIFA. Genworth should be fine, but they're relying on reinsurance a lot, and that's an open question right now about what the FHFA is going to do with reinsurance. Uh, interesting speech today from the control of the currency, Tom Curry. He raised some issues on uh, the risk banks are taking on in multifamily lending. That story's on the website. Uh, we also did a wrap-up of one of the stories John Bancroft covered at the MBA convention out in California, San Diego, a couple of weeks ago, he covered Matt Nichols' uh, Deep Haven Mortgage. Matt's uh, a former Goldman Sachs managing director, and he's a bit bullish on the non-prime sector. Uh, so uh, we threw that in there today. And, you know, we, we'd like to quote Joe Garrett from time to time. Joe writes, he's a consultant, writes an interesting news alert to his uh, clients, and he was sort of speculating a bit about uh, maybe Ed DeMarco being a good HUD secretary. <laughs> I don't think anyone Ooh. thinks he's really going to be HUD secretary, but I think it was no. Joe Garrett just throwing his two cents out there. Um, and so, and uh, there's some more talk about you know what the White House is and isn't going to do with Fannie and Freddie. Uh, there was a speech late last week from Michael Stegman, who's a White House advisor, former Treasury point man on the GSEs, um, about where that's headed. And, and if anyone thinks the, the White House is going to 
uh, recap and release. That's instead of catch and release, like if you're a fisherman and you, you know, you're yeah, exactly. catch and release, recap and release. For all you recap fly fishermen out there, I don't think it's going to happen. And, and the White House uh, made it clear this week, and uh, I should say late last week, that uh, that's just not in the cards. So we'll see what happens. So that's uh, sort of all the long and short of it uh, for this week, or for this Monday, I should Good say. Day. Appreciate it. Appreciate it so much, folks. Check it out at www.imfnews.com. Paul, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to be here. Great, great website, thanks. good articles. The way you're tracking stuff is outstanding. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Well, Have a good week. Let's get on over. Well, you too, Paul. Excellent. Uh, let's get over to Paul, excuse me, to Alice Alvey. Alice, it's good to have you here and uh, always be a part of the broadcast. And there's just, so, TRID. Let's talk a little bit about TRID. Is it really, <laughs> is it really in the past? No, I don't think so. Tell us about it. No, no, I don't think so. Um, so, certainly there are some publications and different articles talking about, you know, that there really hasn't been a large impact to the loan originators out there today. And some of the LOs I talked to, you know, they look, yeah, no, everything's fine. You know, we got our LEs out. And I think, and they have their first closings scheduled, or maybe they just had their first closings. And they're going, yep, everything's okay. We're just crossing our fingers because we had a whole group of loan officers over here for their CE. And they were thinking everything was just fine. But then when we talked to the operations, you know, they use terms like, well, essentially I'm in trid hell right now because I never know at any given moment what's going to go wrong on a particular loan file that they have to go chasing after. Um, so I think in general from an operations side, there are fires that come up every day, and everybody, depending on the size of the company and the resources that you have will be how much can you attack every fire every single day. One of the things I would recommend folks checking is your LOS provider guides and manuals. Uh, we have talked to a couple of folks who have, implemented based on just WebExes that they attended, and they never opened the actual manual that the LOS provider oh, no. gave to them. <laughs> oh, no. And so people really thought this was going to be turnkey. They would get in front of their screens, and they would turn things on, and numbers would work. So we definitely, in live audits that we're conducting, finding lots of errors on loan estimates, lots of error. We're stopping the errors before they go out, but people are making the mistakes. And um, the fact remains that there's a lot of drop-down boxes, a lot of decisions that have to be made. So pull out your user guides. That's the tip of the day <laughs> from our standpoint. Um, <laughs> anyway, a couple of <laughs> Doesn't that I just seem like know. a natural, I mean, like a common sense kind of thing? But anyway. Well, of course, I'm one of the guys. That, pulled it out, but I'm not sure about everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, the devil's in the details, that's for sure. So, um, anyway, we're here to help if you want a backup check for finding that's a service. You know, clients are now looking more than ever to say, you know what, I really don't want to be involved in the closing development anymore. And can someone else handle these disclosures for me? So, uh, we're doing quite a bit of that work. In any case, um, we do. And I know this is really a quiet time for Congress as we get through this second, you know, session, and they're all busy out on the campaign trails and just generally not interested. We like that they're not super interested in our business. But there was one House bill that actually passed uh, the 28th, so it was last Wednesday. It's a minor correction in the Safe Act. There is a Senate bill that's identical because it's so short. There's nothing to argue over. Um, so it's House Bill 2643 and Senate Bill 1957, and it is just replacing the word mortgage loan originator with and other financial service providers. 
Um, essentially what this hmm. is going to do is in, in states that have issues at their state regulatory level, there are some cases they're having access, getting access to all the criminal background checks uh, for state licensing, not just individual MLO licensing. So I think it's trying to open up a, an access point. I don't know if anybody's going to have any grounds to argue for that, um, but it will help state regulators in getting better access uh, where licensing uh, technicalities come into play. So they'll have access to uh, to more of the background check information. So that's the big. That's the only mortgage thing that's moving right now. Um, FHA definitely has their comment period open for the environment for the harassment um, issue that people should take a look at. The comment period's open till December 21st. Um, it talks about you know direct liability for um, really just harassment. That as uh, ideally or originally I should say this is approaching rentals and that type of thing, but you can see its application in mortgages it, uh, in terms of making sure we're aware of, the peop of uh, taking prompt action with respect to any discriminatory housing practices by an employee. And so read the verbiage and file your comments. You have a little bit of time. But I'll cut it short here so we can make sure we have plenty of time for Tony and Tim because this is going to be a great entertaining show. I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Thank you. Evan, as informative as it is entertaining, that is so true. These two are just hilarious together. But, I mean, I, I walk away with my head hurting with all the knowledge we get. But you also do just such a fabulous job. I had just one of our messages came in from uh, what company is Lisa with? I don't see your company in there. She says, tell Alice what a great job she does. I just love listening to her. So informative, to the point. And uh, I go back and listen to all of the broadcasts. But one of the things I listen to over and over again is Alice's comments. I'm right, taking feverish notes. So good, Alice. Everyone <laughs> loves you and loves the commentary, your contribution to the broadcast each and every week. And thank you so much for being here. Folks, if you want to learn how thank to you. get a hold of Alice thank you, and Lisa. use <laughs> – yeah, she's outstanding. Uh, Al's, yeah, Al's are the best. So if you want to get some real hand-holding through this process and work through it, stay tuned. Listen to this message and write down the phone number. I'll give it again right after the ad. We'll be right back with Sam Garcia, Mortgage Daily, and then with uh, we're on to our guest, special guest. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. If you want to get a hold of Alice, again, the phone number is 248-737-0366, or you can reach Alice on her cell phone, and or don't email her. That's the best way. It's actually alice.alvey at indicom.net, alice.alvey at indicom.net. So good to have you with us, Sam Garcia. I better turn on your mic so we can hear from you. But anyway, Sam's dialed in with us. And again, check out MortgageDaily.com. Always got a lot of great stories in there, but also some great resources for those of you researching almost any topic in the industry. Sam, what do you have for our listeners today? Some interesting stories on your website here. I see them. Yeah, and you know, I was wondering if uh, Alice actually has a newsletter that she puts out. It'd be worth her mentioning with that, how to get on to that uh, next time she, she does. Well, we'll have to get that from her in a minute. Yes, that's good. 
You know, we put out our mortgage market index, and this last week it was up 15%. Um, that index is determined based on average per user rate locks by open close clients who provides the data for us. But uh, what was most significant in that report is that uh, rate locks for jumbo mortgages more than doubled from the previous week. So a lot of activity going on with the more, uh, jumbo mortgages this past week. Fannie Mae report. Yeah, yeah. Fannie Mae reported in its uh, September op- operational data that uh, its new business acquisitions were up 14% from August. Um, in addition, its book of business was uh, had grew by two billion, and its 90-day delinquency on uh, uh, its residential portfolio was at its lowest level since August 2008. So it was all around a pretty good month for Fannie uh, during September. And uh, more recently, uh, at all three secondary finance agencies, overall fixed-rate MBS uh, agency issuance was down 5% in October from September, and that's based on data we get from a company called EMBS. Uh, the, the drop was led by Fannie for that month, uh, where business was down 9%, where at Jenny, uh, on a year-over-year basis, they were up nearly a third, so they were kind of strong compared to a year ago. Um, over at Bank of America last week, we reported that they uh, disclosed around 100 layoffs in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they attributed the uh, layoffs to a decline in distressed loans outstanding. Um, we, we, of course, we cover a lot of companies quarterly, what their production does and their servicing, but uh, we, one of the ones we covered last week was Guild Mortgage, and they reported a 3% increase in mortgage originations between the second and third quarters. Most of the companies that we've covered so far this quarter have reported the opposite. They've reported a decline from the second quarter. So that was uh, interesting. And when you look a little closer, you could see that even though their retail and their wholesale channel production was down during those periods, Correspondent was more, uh, you know, more than uh, offset the drops, and it surged actually 39%. So, Guild saw an increase, and it was really a result of its uh, stronger correspondent activity. Mm. Um, over at Aquin, they reported their quarterly earnings, and we picked up that they did $1.3 billion in third quarter mortgage originations. That was about a percent down from the second quarter. Uh, their servicing portfolio, the primary servicing portfolio, is now at $238 billion. So that was down like $30 billion from uh, what the size of it was three months earlier. Um, that, that's pretty much a wrap-up of the uh, headlines for the last week or so. Very interesting. I'm interested to hear about the Guild's production. I mean, it's, it's off like everyone else's, but the correspondent, we're, uh, I'm really focused in on the correspondent lending channel right now, and that, that's interesting that, that that has seen growth. That is a, a truth. Truism, as far as it relates to a lot of these, uh, what many would consider smaller aggregators, as the bigger banks are giving up market share on a purposed basis, uh, and they're letting it go out to the guild. So it's nice to see them doing well. I know that company well. They're a great, great management company, and really a great story about how they did a leverage buyout of the owner that had had that for years. So excellent company. Great to hear that, and great job you do. If you want to check out Mortgage Daily, go to the website, mortgagedaily.com, or give Sam a call at 214-521-1300. It's a uh, great resource for you, not only for the news items, but also for the data that you have in there, Sam. It's just outstanding. Appreciate you so much taking time. I should point out. You know, David, real quick, I wanted to mention that. Go ahead. I was going to mention that uh, there were two other companies recently that reported a stronger correspondent uh, uh, originations that was Stonegate Mortgage and uh, Stearns also. So 
Oh, um, both of them. Yeah, that, both of them. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a three of three of those really that reported good results, while the overall trend has been for lower originations. Well, I say that's good. Good to bring up. I was going to bring up the Seahawks' defeat of the uh, Cowboys here, and, uh, <laughs> but I thought better not. Because I'm a Seahawks <laughs> rabid Seahawks fan, but I'm a, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan until until the Seahawks until they play the Seahawks, and then I go to my true roots. And uh, it's fun to see that game. It's a fun, fun game. But uh, I'm sure just a little disappointing for a lot of the, for the Dallas Cowboys friend. But thanks so much for joining us, Sam. It's really good to have you be here. Again, check it out, MortgageDaily.com. Great information, excellent resource. Sam, have a great rest of the week. I look forward to having Thanks, you back sir. next week, my friend. Folks, Appreciate we've it. Got, you bet. It's always fun. I'm looking at the calendar, and we're two minutes over where I'm one. I want to start this, so I'm going to forego the ads that we play normally and get right into having both Tim Skeet and Tony Moss join us. Now, how I, uh, I think it's really important to kind of get some background on this. Um, Tony Moss has, uh, is the founder and uh, CEO of AmeriCatalyst, and as well as Eurocatalyst. And I'll have her explain exactly what Americatalyst and Eurocatalyst does. But Tony invited me to speak. She heard me speak at a, a conference in Chicago. She invited me to come over to Madrid. I think was it in a 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And um, I had the privilege of meeting Tim Skeet over there, this Brit who is just as funny as he is informative. And I just absolutely I, I, I've got his business card and I've stayed in touch with him. He comes over and speaks at Tony's event here, and we just had that in Austin, Texas, in September. He flies over and uh, spends time at the podium. He is, uh, again, as entertaining as he is informative of what's going on. And the focus of today's ta- hot topic is comparing the U.S. housing finance system to the European housing finance systems, because there's many over there, and we're going to get some color on that. So, Please join me in welcoming both Tony Moss and Tim Skeet. Tony, good to have you here, and I'm going to start with you. Um, i have you give a little more of a detailed background in, into Tim and, uh, and, and and also talk about that first time we met in Madrid. It was such an amazing event. <laughs> well, I, I actually I met Tim for the first time in London. He was a cab driver. Uh, for a London taxi company. Oh, so he was a right, cab driver. What's it, what's it about? <laughs> what's all this? Um, no. You drive me around the Tim, bend, lady. Tim, By the Tim way, I should mention. the London cabbie accent I've ever heard. It's better than Amy Winehouse's father. <clears throat> yeah, I got to tell you, uh, Tim is from, from is dialing in from the from Britain and from uh, literally from London. So I want to say thank you, Tim, for joining us. And I didn't expect that one, so that came out. But hey, Tim, good to have you here as well. Okay, here's here's the truth. So um, European mortgage funding is dominated by on balance sheet instruments um, that are called covered bonds. And covered bonds, um, although some people think that they're a funding tool, they're actually a religion in Europe because if you discuss securitization in the wrong circles, you could be shot, if only they owned guns. And Chemsky is really the statesman for the covered bond industry on a global basis. And he's also on the board of directors of the International Capital Markets Association. I've forgotten how many languages he speaks, but they are many. And I met him at our event in Lisbon in 2003. He was recommended to me by so many of the covered bond issuers across Europe and really is the most 
well-respected person in that entire sector. And so Tim came to the event, and for the first three years of the Eurocatalyst Conference, when it was held in Madrid, so at this time it was between 2002-2005, I was way too insecure to host any of the sessions myself. So Tim was really known in Europe for being the host of the Eurocatalyst Conference. And um, not only was it phenomenal because he is just spectacular on stage, but he also knows the industry so well and he speaks so many languages that people could ask questions or type into the interactivity in any language they wanted. And usually Tim would be the one to interpret them or misinterpret them deliberately. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Tim, did you want to say anything? Well, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. I want to say, you know, hello, hello from London. I've just watched the James Bond movie, and if you haven't seen it, that's London at its best. I think complete with a cab driver somewhere, but he probably gets a helicopter land on his roof. But uh, don't worry too much about that. But no, welcome. Delighted to be here, uh, Tony. Hello again, and, and David. It's uh, great fun. Am I allowed to just refer back to something that came earlier? I, I heard talk of the Dallas Cowboys, yeah. and I heard uh, the New York Mets being mentioned. We've had a pretty yeah. spectacular uh rugby match uh, played here in uh, London just this past weekend and for those who don't know I'm also a part Kiwi and if it may have escaped international notice but the Kiwis the All Blacks uh, beat the Australians pretty uh, pretty convincingly this weekend so I just want to put it out there in case there are any Kiwis listening in uh, or any Australians for that matter just just to make sure everyone knows although my accent is entirely British I'm sorry about that but uh, actually pretty pretty British accent here well, you have so much. Uh, you, there's the more I did not realize you spoke as many languages, but I think the thing that impresses me the most, uh, Tim, is the your knowledge of the markets, but just one heck of a downright decent guy, and that you, you're so approachable, and you can and speak at every level. That's uh, what's there. So from the cabbie all the way up to literally, you've test. Uh, you you have been in uh, Parliament there, have you not? And I know I've you know you've been on CNBC as I have been. Uh, you you you're well spoken. Yeah, I got well to I get to testify. I did actually get to, to testify at your own uh, glorious capital up in D.C. at a congressional hearing on covered bonds uh, a few years back, which was uh, one of wow. the more interesting uh, passages of my history. And I remember being asked a very uh, interesting, pertinent question by one of your learned law makers about the Spanish Armada. Uh, now, I knew mm. when that was. I also knew who won that particular uh, offshore spat. Uh, I don't think the guy asking me had a clue, but I don't know. He was appealing for the Hispanic vote, which I guess just got sunk less my, most of the Spanish Armada when it happened. But, uh, you know, I just throw that in. It was a pretty interesting highlight of my career, you know. Well, let's get in, let's get in, let's get in and talk a little bit about contrasting the housing finance system here in America to that of Europe. And and I think, Tony, I'm going to start with you because, as you pointed out on the, the pre-call, there are many systems in Europe. And if you could comment to it, and then, Tim, you add to that, and then let's talk right. specifically, let's dive more specifically into the European side, I mean, to the British uh, program, the UK's uh, housing finance system. So, Tony, if you could kind of bring our listeners up to date of the many housing <clears> finance <throat> systems and what, across, the, across the Europe, Western Europe. Okay. So so having lived and worked in Europe for 14 years, I get this question a lot where uh, American market participants will say, I'm interested in entering the European mortgage market. How do I go about entering the market? 
And the response is usually, well, there are 28 member countries of the European Union, and then there are 19 countries that comprise the Eurozone, and there are three different legal systems, 23 different languages, and it varies in products, distribution, and, and most of all, recourse in the case of a default. So when Americans talk about wanting to go and operate in European mortgage markets, it's really like playing Scrabble without the vowels. They just don't really know it until they get there, and so they typically land in the U.K. and then you know, plant a flag claiming that they have reached Europe. But um, one of the most interesting things, and then I'll let Tim talk a bit, is the creation of the single market. So the euro was launched as a banknote in 2002, and part of that, in order to create um, in order for the euro to work fluidly across the 19 eurozone countries, they needed to harmonize European financial markets, and they call this the single market. And in particular, the greatest challenge was harmonizing the European-wide mortgage markets. And you know, when you think about just the differences. Um, in the United States, from state to state, imagine trying to harmonize European mortgage markets with all of the, the different criteria that I mentioned to you. So that's been the biggest drama that's played out since 2002. And they finally <clears throat> accomplished something significant in February of last year. They adopted the Mortgage Credit Directive. So it took 12 years just to get to that point. And, and those main provisions are um, harmonization on consumer information requirements and uh, rules and standards for the performance of services and uh, consumer credit worthiness assessment and early repayment for currency loans um, and a passport for credit intermediaries. So anyway, there's, there's the drama of the European it's Union. The and there. you yeah. take you take the drama of the United States and regulation in particular and magnify it by 19 times, and, and there you have the Eurozone. As Alice attests to here in America, we have the complexities of now of each state coming up and now municipalities coming up with their own regulations for the industry. So we may be 19 times more, but we are starting to climb up the ladder of complexity here just here in the States. But, Tim, add to the comments, yeah. and how would you contrast the two? And focus really on your expertise, which is many things, but the covered bond, I think that would be fascinating for and the chance of that succeeding, especially if you test in front of uh, Congress here in the U.S. about on this point. Well, let me start. I mean, straight away on the and the again. Excuse my uh, my my crazy accent for those who are not familiar with it, but uh, I'll try myself make myself understandable and I'll avoid the. Speak English. I'll do it as a cabbie if you like, but I mean, but uh, look, the cover the cover. <laughs> I'll do it as a cabbie. Like what straight up is what we're talking about here is is basically uh, it ain't going to happen in the U.S. Um, no, seriously. I mean, the, the, my disappointment was we tried long and hard, right in the depths of the crisis, to try and figure out how we could kind of wrest the the whole agenda away from, you know, the legacy players, bring a new product into the U.S. But I think for a number of reasons, it just didn't fit. 
And the covered bond, which is fundamentally a product where you keep the mortgages on the bank's balance sheet and you fund them right there on the dual recourse structure. In other words, the buyer of the notes can either look to the borrower, the bank itself, to repay or the mortgage pool if everything goes bad. That dual recourse structure, they didn't kind of fit with the U.S. And, and fundamentally, I think there were a few objections from the FDIC and others. So I don't see the U.S. system changing any time soon. It was much talked about. So yeah, put that aside. So what's happening in Europe? I mean, what Tony pointed out is very true. We have a multiple system of markets and, and all sorts of practices going on here. But, but. We have a covered bond market, and though there are differences between nationalities, we do have this product, which finances mortgages on banks' balance sheets, and it's pretty cheap funding, and it works, and it works almost regardless of the jurisdiction. Now, I say all of that. Some of you may have noticed there's been a little bit of a crisis in Europe, and there are yeah. some nations doing better than others. So if you happen to be in the bits that weren't doing so well, well, investors weren't that keen on buying paper out of those jurisdictions. Apart from that little detail, this is a product that's performed pretty well. So, you know, there's some good and there's some bad. Uh, it's a very different system. And that has all sorts of implications, David. But so, it's you know, not I, a government. I, there is, uh, one thing no. that came out in the, the Americanalyst here in September, which surprised me, is that I thought we were the only company that had a government backstop, and we're not, as it turns out. And Tony, I think it was you that pointed that out. And if you could come, either one of you, if you could point out what, what a country has a, a backstop like such as we have with um, here in America. Actually, Tony, the the most subsidized market in Europe is government subsidized market is Hungary, but Europe uh, there are no European countries that really function um, with GSE type structures like Fannie Mae and Freddie Freddie Mac, and primarily due to the efficiencies of covered bonds. Right. I, okay. Let me just address that. Let me just say the the. The problem in, with the banking system in Europe has been that at the time of the crisis, government stepped in to prop up the banking system. Right. They propped up the banks, and therefore they propped up everything that the banks issued, including, guess what, the covered bonds. So the covered bonds enjoyed all of the specific legal frameworks. Because, you see, the way these things work is in every jurisdiction, every country, in Germany, in the United Kingdom, in France, they have a law specifically passed by the lawmakers for covered bonds in that jurisdiction. So you get a hell of a lot of protection as an investor. But notwithstanding yeah. all of that protection, banks got propped up. So, you know, you're looking forwards to a time when banks will no longer be propped up, so people are going to get what, they, what it says on the packet. It's the credit of the bank plus the mortgage portfolio and no external support. Now, some people say, oh, well, there was external support because banks had this implicit guarantee. That's a kind of debate we can hold, uh, and it's a fair point. But the bail-in regime moving forward means that will no longer be the case. So we are moving towards a system in Europe where there is no kind of government support for the banks or for the mortgage product, unlike the U.S. Fact. Well, go ahead. Let's, I want to toss the mic to Alice or Joe at this point, see if they have any questions what we've covered, and then I want to get into the housing market a bit and see how it's going on because it's been fairly robust there. But before we go there, Alice, do you have any questions uh, for either Tony or Tim? 
Well, thank you both for being on the program. And, Tony, you reminded me. I think we had a broadcast, they're all recorded, where um, on a couple of them where you went in detail about covered bonds. So maybe those are worth marking for people to go back and listen yes, to to I'll get back real insight scoop on those. Yeah, um, because it is trying to learn uh, an entirely new product. So um, it sounds like you're discouraging folks, but if, if there's someone out there thinking, well, I'm a bank, I'm, I've got the pot, the wherewithal, um, you know, is it something that could be started if they were okay with the structure of a covered bond, or is it just something that's just not done? Well, it was tried. Let me just, just remind people, uh, it was tried, actually. A couple of banks did issue covered bonds into the U.S., and they were no, they were. They was was back in oh six oh seven, off the top of my head, and it kind of, sort of half started, but it just didn't go anywhere. It's a bit like the cabbie that lost his map, forgot where he was going, and you know ran out of <laughs> petrol halfway around, or gas. Sorry, American gas ran out of gas. So yeah, petrol, you know yeah. it, that, that's that's the story of the covered bond in the U.S. And then and then we tried to introduce it, and and yeah, so that's history, right? Primarily low risk low risk, low reward, and that's part of the reason it doesn't work in terms of investors buying U.S. covered bonds? Well, we've, we've had, actually, look, I mean, to, to be fair, there, there is a buyer base for non-U.S. domestic covered bonds. There's a regular trickle of this stuff that comes into the market, um, and you, you get it out of a number of jurisdictions, including, for instance, Canada and Europeans. Occasionally, it makes sense for them to issue covered bonds, and that's and that's pretty productive. You know, people people like that, and there is a there is a, a level of demand from U.S. investors for 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 this product because it's again, you're right, low risk. It's not a massive return, but it gives them something they know they what they're going to get. It's a, it's an asset class. Uh, so there is a there is a steady low level trickle of that that comes into the market. And it'd be very nice to see that develop further. But you know, the domestic U.S. issuers are not going to use it. They've got the existing mechanisms, which actually are trying to proven. They're they're time tested, they're time stamped, and that's what's going to happen. But I mean, look, I think the the uh, we can talk about that. It's it's. I think we need to move on from the discussion of is the U.S. Yeah. going to use this structure. You're stuck with what you've got, uh, and, and Europe's very very different. But it's nice to know that it exists, that we can we we have that to reference. And I think Alice brings up a great point about that we have discussed this before. And there was actually an association formed here in America on this, and we covered it a couple of years ago on the broadcast. But let's, uh, Joe, before we jump into the housing markets and looking at some of the, the how things are going over there, uh, any questions for our guests? Well, that's where I wanted to go as it related to the structure um or uh, the servicing of the mortgages that are inside the covered bonds versus the servicing of the mortgages Good that point. are in the mortgage-backed securities, and you know we both went through uh, the U.S. and Europe both went through tough times, and our solution was to essentially eviscerate the terms of the note and do whatever we could to keep the borrower in the house or or to get them out quickly. You know all the all the loss mitigation things. I wonder, did did the European servicers of mortgages go through those same that same process? And and in my in my view, by doing that, we've kind of set a precedent for the next time we go through a difficult time. It's not it's going to be the terms of the note don't matter. Well, well I, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Tony. Sorry, unfortunately, you know there there are 19 different answers to the servicing question. Yeah. With regard to servicing overall in Europe, um, when 
I lived in the Netherlands. Um, I helped develop um, the first third-party cross-border European servicers called Stater. Um, and having third-party servicing was really crucial for securitization to take off. But for the most part, all the servicing is done in-house. And there are some exceptions on the innovation side. Actually, this is kind of interesting. I know there's a company here called Guaranteed Rate, and they mm -hmm. advertise okay. about having created the world's, quote, the world's first completely electronic mortgage this year. And um, actually, the world's first completely electronic mortgage origination and processing and servicing platform was created in 1997 in the Netherlands, and it was Stater. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of technological innovation in Europe, particularly in countries like the Netherlands or really surprising if you go to Central and Eastern Europe, they don't have legacy technology. It's all brand new. So there are a lot of different business models that we could benefit from. The shared servicing utility was something I worked on in Spain for the Cajas. And um, so servicing on the one hand is extremely backwards in Europe, and on the other hand, it's light years ahead of the United States. Yeah, if I just jump in there, that sums it up. I mean, a lot of banks do their own servicing. And to the question of what did they do in the crisis, particularly the weaker economies, forbearance was the word. It's a lot of political pressure, of course, of, as well. You didn't want people being put out on the street. So in, in, in a number of uh, jurisdictions, when people got into trouble, uh, you just rolled up the interest for a little bit longer. And that, that, that's kind of practically what happened uh, in a lot of in some of those jurisdictions and some of those mortgages. So, you know, it, it, it was in house uh, and it could be done as a matter of policy if you like but remember yeah, in Europe we have recourse we have recourse to the yeah. borrower he can't just walk away from his home leave his keys behind and pretend he didn't own ah. anything you know uh, you know kind of the bank goes after you 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 gotta you gotta keep up with the mortgage payments or at least come to some arrangement yeah they can so seize any of your assets or income in most oh, countries really? wow. oh yeah. okay Oh yeah, that's a yeah, that's pretty that's fundamental a, difference. That's a fundamental difference, right? I mean, yeah. when when the Brit says his king, you know, his his, his house is is his castle. It's it's you know, it's kind of his, right? That's where his, that's where he kind of puts his uh, his his value. Mind you, if you look at the London yeah. mortgage market right now or the property market, it's red hot. And uh, you know, there was a report that's what out I just recently to to. saying, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's you know. It's, prop Go ahead. Yeah, I mean we've got a we've got an overheating uh, real estate market in London for properties. We also have an overheating rental market in the UK, and we have a pretty developed rental market. It's been very very good, but you know there's a shortage of property in and around London. London's a boom area. London's a great place to come and visit. If any of you listening haven't been to London, come on over, stop by, take a cab, have fun. It's a great city, um, but Wonderful. you know it is expensive, and this is one of the problems. The British government just put in place uh, changes to the tax code to make it more expensive for people to buy to let. There have been a lot of private investors buying apartments, which they then let. And, you know, we get a great return on capital in London. But, uh, you know, the government's desperately trying to put a cap on the, uh, the, the, the capital appreciation through various measures to, uh, to just take some of the steam out of that market. 
That's I'll translate. What? Let means rent. Yeah. Buy the rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buy the rent. Sorry. Buy the rent. By the let, by the rent. Sorry, the linguistic problems there. This is all part of the uh, the accent dueling, language dueling. Yes, we'll that, put that, that in is, German if you're wrong, but we won't do that. But when it's you all look do with at meat the, in German. Tony, I have a question for you, and then like Tim's perspective on it, we look at the amount of housing home ownership here. We're seeing some improvements in it because of household formations and that. But we're we're definitely becoming more of a renter nation. You do such an outstanding job of covering this in the Americalis. Anyone who's listening to this broadcast, I'd encourage you to make next year's Americalis event. It is probably one of the best out there uh, as, as it relates to just what is going on globally and who is in, in attendance in the audience is literally the who's who of our, of our industry. But when you look at the trends here, let's start with you, Tony. Commenting on the trends that we see in America versus what we've seen going on in Europe. Are, is Europe ahead of us? Are we going to see home ownership continue to fall here, and is that what's happening in Europe? Oh, boy. Um, they're, they're separate <laughs> issues, but I, I certainly think that home ownership is going to continue to decline here in the United States. That's why in 2010, when I created the adjunct sections uh, on single-family rental, I called it Renting the Future. And um, I think that the United States will probably start looking more like Germany. Um, they have a home ownership rate of around 43%. I don't know that we'll go that low, but... Um, it's such a stable market because of all the prudential standards that they have in place. And, you know, they have a market there that's very favorable to rentals. Um, anyway, so, you know, Dave, I totally forgot the initial question. <laughs> well, it's contrasting. It's yeah, contrasting. that's typical. That's typical. You know, I, I, Tony, Tony, kind of <laughs> pop your marbles back in, please. Um, <laughs> I mean, let me let me just say that, that we are going to a uh, a rental market in the UK as well, particularly South East Britain, where we've got the London area hotspot. Uh, people can't afford to get on the the, the ownership uh, chain, yeah, and they're now uh, they're renting. Okay, that that's what we are seeing. Yeah. Young people, first yeah. time buyers is a problem. But but okay. this is a global phenomenon where house is prices are increasing correct. faster than incomes. Correct. So then yeah. it comes. And to there's a lot the, of capital it, chasing real estate. People people take the view. I mean, you know, south the southeast of England is a bit peculiar because we have a lot of people coming in from all over the world to buy property. You know, London's a great place. Great weather. You know, never rains in London, as you know. We don't get any fog. It's a great place to to, to be. Uh, it's warm all the, all year round. I mean, it's fabulous. You know, and um, people want to buy. But it has pushed prices up high. And this it's not just London. It, it's happening in a lot of places. And, and, and uh, David, you know, I know you'd, you'd be disappointed if I didn't make a controversial statement, but yes. when you look at the, the global phenomenon of dramatically rising income and wealth and asset inequality, this is where you see sort of this rise of neo-feudalism all over the world. And that's manifested yeah, yeah. in the rental for, market. For those that don't understand neo-feudalism, would you just go ahead and add a little more color to the? I say everyone's googling that right now just to figure out what the hell you I just know. said, Tony. That was a bit. The, the bit rich out get there, richer so. and the poor get children. Um, no, yeah. no <laughs> feudalism, where you know you have the whole concept of the landlord mm -hmm. going back in history, where 
the very wealthy owned the land, and those without you, wealth... You're accusing him of being, being a lord of the manor or something? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I say, old girl, steady on. You know, Ken's in London, which is one of the, the highest-priced markets in the world, and I'm here in Austin, the highest-priced market, you know, the, the fastest-rising market in the United States. And after seeing my property taxes rise by 38% over the last four years... I started to think, you know, maybe maybe I really just have a leasehold here. I don't yeah, really own this point. property. I'm always going to have to pay those property taxes. Tony, if you're not a lord of the manor anymore, how am I supposed to come to your event? Yeah, well, she is she is in many ways the lord of many things. So, uh, but one of them is probably one of the best events in the nation. I'm looking at the clock; we're out of time, and we got to cover quickly. Tony, oh, let's man. go real quickly, and you're going to be coming. Oh, I know it's just we just get started in this in this, this segment. Yeah, we were just on. warming up there, David. I was just warming up. I know it. I know it, and I know. But you were gracious to come on, Tim. And if I know, if I understood, you said you have to run to a uh, event. I do you have a reception, and so I want to respect your time and you graciously coming on. Is the queen but, still um, bugging you? I beg your pardon. Is, is the, the queen, queen still, still bugging bug? you? Give her her purse back, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> My dear lady, please. Well, for those listening, I'm a decent, honest, honest upstanding citizen. Well, you're more than that. You have you're part of the Royal Navy Reserve, I think. If you're not, you fly. No, I'm not. So no, many... I'm not. Someone will have me arrested for claiming that. I have okay, the I had well, the honour you're... to fly with the Royal Navy. That that is certainly That's true. That's what it was. Well, you have done a splendid job of coming on. Appreciate you so much, uh, Tony. When is your next event next year? Is it going to be September here? And then Tim, I hope, gosh, you will be coming back. It's so good to have you here each every year. Well, I look forward to uh, I, I coming back. Do, I can't do Americattles without Tim. I mean, he's yeah, just for sure. part and he parcel is. of the event. So, yes. yeah. What we're looking we're looking at, at dates. We haven't decided on what the dates are going to be next year. But we like to keep September a little bit of suspense. Yeah, September, it's it's looking likely. like that, but there's so many conferences during that month, so we're trying to figure out how we can ease the burden for people. Well, it's without question one of the best events. You had Jim Rickards there opening up and uh, the Currency Wars. Uh, it was a fabulous discussion, stimulating in every regard, and uh, held us on the edge of our seats, everyone attending there throughout the whole conference. Just outstanding. Folks, you have been listening to Tim Skeet, who is with uh, uh, the Tony's advisor to Tony Moss's AmeriCatalyst and EuroCatalyst, and he is a cover bond expert and a finance expert. Not only that, very well respected throughout Europe. You mentioned his name anywhere, and they go, oh, yes, we know Tim Skeet very well, very highly respected, highly regarded, but most importantly, just a decent guy and a really very informed individual what's going on in any of the markets, and as well as the U.S., testifying here in Congress. Uh, Tony again is the founder and president and CEO of AmeriCatalyst and EuroCatalyst, and she is here, and we appreciate you both taking time on your busy day to join us. Next week. Thank everybody. you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Both. It's good to have you here. Next week, we have Austin Tillman and David Stevens. Um, this is the David Stevens, who's a partner in with uh, Austin Tillman, and we're going to be talking about U.S. servicing, MSRs, and the values, what's going on, getting an MSR update on the value of servicing here in the U.S. So don't miss that broadcast. So, Dave, I have guests. a quick question. Yes. yes. So, what question. so do, you, do you think I could meet Paul Molo someday? Yes, Can you I'll arrange you that? Paul. I will okay, definitely arrange that. He's, he's <laughs> a great guy. He'll, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> Absolutely.
good to have you everyone with us. We have then used up our time, and we appreciate you being and making this broadcast a part of your way and getting updates of what's going on in the information. We, of course, receive many from you, many um, recommendations what you'd like us to cover. So email me at david at tms-advisors, T as in Transformational Mortgage Solutions, tms-advisors. And I look forward to getting your topics covered on the broadcast. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to listen to this and tell others about the broadcast. Again, Austin Tillman, David Stevens of United Capital Markets will be with us next week. Have a great week, everybody. And again, a big thank you to Alice Joe being with us, Sam, as well as Tony and Tim. Thank you all. Have a great week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 